to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 187, and I'm your host, Yelena Levin. Joining me today for the show is my co-host, Pontus Bachmann. Всем привет! Hey, Sarah, hey, son. Jelena, finally, you're back on the show. I am here! <laughs> and I am not square or something. I'm mostly round. <laughs> round is a shape. <laughs> you look fine. You look just fine. <laughs> well, welcome. After the exciting time oh, we the Skeptic... You. Yeah, European Skeptic Congress, I decided to do a search on alcoholism problem in no, Europe. And really? apparently... <laughs> did, did my name come up? or? <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine. The first news item on Google search, Pontus Bockman. No, but actually, the following link came up from the uh, uh, WHO website, the World Health Organization website, that in Europe, and I quote, people continue to consume more alcohol than, than in any other place in the world. And that was recently published, 4th of September 2019, uh, it was. There you go. There is all sorts of excitement around this and plans how to reduce the harmful use of alcohol. Okay. I don't think it's going that well, to be honest. (laughs) Actually, I'm a bit surprised to hear this because I hear that um, young people today, are, at least in Sweden, that's what I heard, are drinking less than young people drank like 10 or 20 years ago. Well, so what this report is saying that it, the reduction in alcohol consumption have stalled. So it has been reducing for a while, but now it's stalled. Mm-hmm. So, for example, which I find some of the numbers quoted here were just quite. Uh, I don't remember being that that kind of a drunk when I was younger. But on average, adults aged fifteen years and over. Oh, maybe no. no yeah, I am that kind of drunk. <laughs> on average, adults fifteen years and over. In European Union countries, plus Norway and Switzerland, drink the equivalent of more than two bottles of wine per week. I can totally see myself drinking more than two bottles of wine per week. Mm. Maybe even more than three bottles of wine, actually. (laughs) And apparently it leads to uh, serious health consequences. Hence me not drinking tonight. Doing so well. I'm doing so well. For one night. (laughs) And I'm doing fine as well. It's six o'clock in the morning and I haven't had a drink yet. So... (laughs) (laughs) All people will um, think I'm such a drunk. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, it, and it does actually mention, as you said, that alcohol consumption has decreased. I'm quoting now in many European countries, but progress is grinding to halt. Aha. Uh-huh. So, with as many as 800 people dying every day in parts of the region due to alcohol attributable harm. I'm assuming various diseases like liver, etc., cancers and things. I think there's various measures in place. And I know that uh, a lot of European countries are raising uh, the price of alcohol, the access uh, after certain hours. But there's still a lot to be done, basically. But I just I just thought it was interesting because, <laughs> I, well, I don't, I don't know what I thought. I thought maybe people in, in America drink a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if they drink but a lot. But apparently Europe... I did them all. Hmm. But look, to be fair, if you live in France or Italy or maybe Spain, I mean, you have a reason. You've got wonderful wine. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that they were so depressed for living in those places. No, no, but no. no, no. The, they have the most wonderful wine available, you know, cheap. Yeah. Now, I mean, of course, when 
if going back to the European Skeptics Congress in in such a setting, I I I think it's fine to, yeah. to celebrate no, a know. bit because I know we... it was more of a like a let me see how I can uh, pick on Pontus next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of the European Skeptics Congress, we have more interviews, but we're not going to add them this week. We are saving them for next week. I think we have four smaller interviews that will come next week, so stay tuned for that. But this is a regular news item etc episode before we start i also want to mention that uh, the swedish skeptics vof will as usual have a stand at the big international book fair in gothenburg which is 26th to 29th of september so anybody who's in the neighborhood should come and say hi and listen to the many talks that we will have and to see our books and buy our t-shirts etc And also, if anybody wants to volunteer, there are still room for some people to come and help us. We have a lot of help already, but we could always use a few more. And if you're interested, you can contact VOF directly or you can send uh, us an email as well at uh, info at the ESP.eu. And we will put you in contact with, uh, I guess, with Stefan, who is running a lot of the practical things, the Stefan Lukander, who is friend and also part of the mm. the Swedish skeptics he is uh, one of the local organizers oh, so no, do, great yeah? yeah it's usually a very good uh, i think it's 100,000 visitors over four days so it's a really big event wow really big mm-hmm. right yeah 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 Also, people, if you think I'm recording this in the shower, it's fake news. <laughs> But it may be that you can hear uh, some water dripping, and that's because there's it's raining outside my window. There's a hole in the drain there, so so all the water goes down exactly outside the window where I'm recording. Uh, I hope it's not too distracting. But also, I think if you want to record in the shower, you know, go for it. Yes, but then I'll switch um, off the camera. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we shall carry on with the show, I think. And yes. I will start with interesting event that happened this week. Uh, so, this is something I want to mention that happened in 2011, very relatively new, September 14th. And it was the launch of the Ask for Evidence campaign that we have mentioned several times in our show. It is a campaign that was launched by Sense About Science, yes. a non-for-profit organization that spreads the word about how science is good for the daily life. <laughs> no. <laughs> But what it does, it helps people request for themselves the evidence behind, for example, if an advertisement makes a claim, they can submit a request questioning the claim, question any official policies, etc. If you go on the, onto the website, askforevidence.org, you can follow certain links, there's uh, some resources there for you, so it's still up and running. This is eighth year, which is great. Actually, it was eighth year, so now it's ninth year. Yeah, <laughs> It's a great resource for those who have questions <laughs> and want to address their concerns. Mm. Commercial claims, for instance, shampoos or, or yeah. food or whatever, they claim yeah. this and this. You can go to the website and, and ask, yeah. is, they claim yes, that right. this is really good for that and that. Is that yeah. true? And they will help you to forward that question to whoever made that, and they can come back and maybe... Yeah. 
I think what they do is is really great, the work that the um, Sense About Science does. But I also think that, unfortunately, these type of things make advertisement campaigns and companies better at manipulating the words when they talk about the products so that they're not being caught. <laughs> you mean you mean they're being more sneaky, but oh, I yeah, guess they're trying to keep so. them more honest anyway by doing this. Yeah. I, I, so yeah. it's a very good initiative. So there we go. And that, that's the 2011 campaign. Okay, very good. And I believe uh, on this positive note, we're going to continue with uh, stories about the Pope and how he's been wrong. Pontus, will you poke the Pope for us? <laughs> yes, I will. I will. Yes, this is a bit of a fun story. The Pope has now learned the hard way that there's no fast way upward towards the heavens. At least it must have seen that way uh, when last Sunday he got stuck in the divine elevator in the Vatican. So, <laughs> it was... What was so divine about that elevator? No, I just assume <laughs> that everything in the Vatican is divine. Uh. So He was on his way to the Angelus prayer, but he mm -hmm. had to wait for 25 minutes before he was rescued by his, I guess, faithful holy firefighters. And uh, then he could go out at the window there and, and finally bless the crowd that always waits for him uh, on these occasions. Uh, this is where, where you often see pictures of uh, at St. Peter's Square at the Vatican. Anyway, that was just a little bit of fun. I think it was uh, interesting that God couldn't help him take the stairs or something. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. he, he took it in good spirits and he suffered no real harm. Uh, so good for him. Yeah. But on a more serious note, I have talked before about that there is a power struggle behind the facade in the Vatican. And it's apparent that uh, Frankie has his enemies within the church and he has to watch his back. But his latest move is that he has appointed a few more cardinals than expected. There is an unwritten rule which was set down by the hugely influential Pope Paul VI, who was Pope between 1963 and 1978. And that rule is that there should be a maximum of 120 voting cardinals. Mm -hmm. Just a side note about Paul VI. He was born, listen to this, Giovanni Battista Enrico Antonio Maria Montini. That is a good <laughs> name. If I were him, I would not have changed that for Paul. <laughs> Just... Just imagine it's if just, we just simple. <laughs> just imagine if we had a pope that was called Giovanni Battista Enrico Antonio Maria Montani the <laughs> first. He would have been remembered more, I think, for that. Uh, no, anyway, sorry for being a, a bit uh, silly. Uh, the hundred and twenty voting cardinals, yes, because you can have more than one hundred twenty cardinals, except that everybody who's above eighty years of age are not allowed to vote. So when the others grow older and fall over the, this uh, line, 80 years, you have to appoint new ones. But the unwritten rule is that you should keep it to 120. Today, there are 118 cardinals below 80. So there was room for two more. But Frankie has announced the names of 10 new cardinals, all of them below 80, which will bring the total up to 128. And that's eight more according to the rules. Mm -hmm. It's not an absolute rule, it's just a convention, but it's clear that Frankie feels that he needs to push the College of Cardinals to be a little bit more in his favor, I think. I'm assuming he's appointing uh, cardinals that agrees with him. 
It's also obvious that he's favoring smaller and more marginal dioceses than, than his customary. For instance, there is this Archbishop of Los Angeles, Jose Gomez, which I think I think I've mentioned him before. He has not been appointed cardinal this time either. That's just the third time that he probably expected to be appointed cardinal. But he is uh, part of the Opus Dei Society, which we know that Francis is not very fond of. So not entirely clear what it all means, but I think it shows at least that Francis is rather... He's quite a political guy and he knows how to maneuver his church. We'll see how it ends up. That's that for this week's poking of the Pope. Yeah. Mm? He does whatever he wants. <laughs> yes, within limits, because he needs the cardinals behind him. Otherwise, uh, he, he'll get in trouble. Naughty, so, naughty, naughty Pope. Naughty Pope. <laughs> Righty. Okay. And uh, we're on to the next segment, our news items that we picked out this week. Okay, so we try to focus on European news, of course, but occasionally we need to look a little bit further out there. I want to mention three common misconceptions about the fires in the Amazon, especially since we touched upon uh, these fires two weeks ago, and perhaps it sounded like we were endorsing one of those myths. So let's put the record straight. So what are the three misconceptions? The first one is that the Amazon fires are a part of climate change. That's not true. Most of these uh, fires are man-made and deliberate deforestation. I think this is where it sounded like we were saying that two weeks ago because we mentioned the Amazon fires in, uh, in connection with the climate change. The second misconception is that the burning of the Amazon in 2019 are the worst ever. It's not. The Amazon is being burnt every year, except we don't hear so much about it. A lot of the news articles cite numbers from 2013, and they say that the fires have doubled since then. And that's true, but what they don't say is that's because the number of fires in 2013 were unusually low. In fact, the years 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2007 and 2010 were all higher in the number of fires than if you look uh, if you look at the period January to August, which is what you can compare to at this point. The third misconception is that you hear all the time that the Amazon is the lungs of the earth and that it produces 20% of the oxygen in the atmosphere. It's not actually entirely clear where the 20% figure comes from. It may have originated as 20% of the oxygen produced on land. The oceans, of course, provide much more oxygen than that. The estimate is that the Amazon figure is more like 9%. But it doesn't end there, because in fact half of the oxygen is absorbed by the trees again. Then we're down to 4-5%. to And... Almost all what's left is absorbed by rotting and decaying plants and leaves. So the truth is that the net contribution from the Amazon is probably around zero. So we don't get a lot of oxygen from from the Amazon. So what does all this mean? It doesn't mean that there's no problem. Of course not. There's a local disaster going on and it's real for people, plants and animals and it should be stopped. 
The fires also release a lot of CO2 and smoke and other nastiness into the atmosphere. So I'm not saying that we should let the Amazon burn. But as skeptics, we care about the facts. And the fact is that it's not the climate that makes it burn. It's not a new thing. And it doesn't mean that we are going to run out of oxygen. Yeah. But the thing is, that wouldn't make for such a good headlines. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. And yeah. we do need don't to panic. focus on the problem. So uh, there's yeah. no... I don't mind that it gets a lot of attention in the news, but it should be factual. And the real facts are always much more complicated than you think. And of course, you shouldn't believe everything you read. Mm -hmm. uh, my point, though, uh, from two weeks ago still stands, and that is that meditation and rain dancing does not help the Amazon. <laughs> That's still stupid <laughs> and silly. All That's right. still a fact. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop meditating. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you're free to meditate, but just don't think that it stops the fires. No. Okay. All right. This one is uh, from Sweden, from your home country. Ooh. And it's an article on the counterfeit medicine threat. It has been discovered that every year, and it's been the number's been growing exponentially over the last couple of years. More and more drugs are sold online. So antibiotics, sleep medicine, basically you can bypass the pharmacy itself. It's been discovered there are over 170,000 tablets and capsules and over 30 liters in liquid form were seized by the customs. Um, it is believed that to be just the tip of the iceberg. Just in Sweden, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. These were dangerous. Well, they essentially non-approved so they're now uh, ringing the bell, uh, the uh, alarm bells in Sweden. Uh, the Swedish authorities are now calling for international criminalization of this trade and better collaboration to try to control the issue. Because, of course, I'm sure this article addresses Sweden, but it happens all across uh, yes, the board. Yes, I'm sure it does. I don't remember which country we talked about when we mentioned it pre before, but, but this topic came up in the past. And I mean, internet doesn't have borders, so it's um, a so. pretty risky area. So um, watch the space. I'm sure there'll be a lot more of the same. Yeah. And don't buy drugs online. <laughs> I, why would you though? Like, I yeah, I, I don't know either. But you, you don't know what you get. Sometimes it's real medicine, but it's expired. So it was scheduled to be uh, destroyed. But instead, they repackage it and, and they just change the date. And sometimes yeah. you get, you don't know what you get. Sometimes yeah. it's just sugar pills. Sometimes it's it's yeah. a totally different medicine, which has active ingredients. And, and could could be very, very, very dangerous to take. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just don't do it. Now go to your doctor. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay, let's go over a short measles update. We reported two weeks ago that the UK has lost its status as measles-free. This is a status monitored and provided by the WHO. World Health Organization. And I just want to add that the same is also now true for Albania, Greece and the Czech Republic. Oh dear. I was surprised to see Greece in there, not, not because it lost the status, but I was surprised that it had the status measles free because when I've been looking, I've always seen Greece among the top countries. So I went back and checked the numbers and it turns out that before August 2017, so that's just two years ago, they really had no problems with measles, just a few random cases. But then in last year, they had 2,200 cases. And of course, that uh, caused them to lose the status of measles-free. 
Related to this news, there are four leading general practitioners in London who has called out for mandatory vaccinations in the UK for school children, that is. They say now that the situation is so bad that this is the only way to get things under control. But their initiative, in turn, has gotten a lot of pushback by others who says it may backfire and lead to people getting more suspicious towards uh, vaccines. So I think if you're interested in that debate, I think I want to... If you missed last week's episode where we had an interview with Ovidio Covaccio, he put it very clearly there that there are no one solution. In some cases, making vaccinations mandatory may be a good idea but in other it all depends on the context and what the social feelings are in the country etc you can divide the level of making it mandatory into five uh, levels so that one is that it's just a recommendation and the fifth one is that you get fines and and real severe punishment if you don't vaccinate and then there are other levels in between and uh, they all may work depending on what country you're in yep so that's that about measles i want to revisit another old story of ours Uh, i want to give a macchiarini update and if you're a new listener you may not know what that means but the macchiarini scandal in sweden continues to have repercussions Paolo Macchiarini was a researcher at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, where he falsified the results from his research and then performed experimental surgery on a handful of patients that all died. The surgery was to replace the trachea of the patients with a plastic trachea covered with stem cells, and he had falsified his results to give the impression that this had worked very well in rats which it had not. Terrible story. But the news now is that the Swedish government has concluded an investigation and the likely result is that there will be much harder control and rules for for research in general in the future. So I wanted to mention that since we talked uh, quite a lot about the Macchiarini scandal in in the past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something um, good came out of it, right? Yeah, at least they're doing something. And that's, well, it's just to be expected, but it's good to see that it's happening. All right. Um, For those of our listeners who like yoga, uh, there might be potentially good news coming. Not today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But maybe in the the nearest future. Because I think, well, I mean, yoga is not exactly proven method of treatment for anything really i mean it's a exercise that people choose to do and um it's relaxing and whatever else yeah. but it uh, has been recently noted and actually this came from a congress that took place exactly the same time as the european skeptics congress and it was a european society of cardiology congress please note exactly the same uh, abbreviation esc Ah, yeah. uh, between the 31st of August and 4th of September. So they, it lasted a little bit longer and it happened in Paris, France. And there was a report of, of, by one of the presenters on um, potential positive effect of yoga to reduce global cardiovascular risk. The presentation talked about research that was done on 60 consecutive individuals. And, you know, they've been monitored for three months where they performed 15 minutes of 
uh, either yoga or stretching in addition to 30 minutes of aerobics exercise three times a week. And then uh, after they've done this, there was a control group as well. The blood pressure, cholesterol levels and HSCRP were measured. I'm not sure what that stands for. But basically, uh, it transpired after this that all of these um, uh, measurables were improved quite considerably with yoga compared to the control group. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is great. However, the presenters, being scientists that they are, you know, if you are a, a part of a society of cardiology, you're probably practicing surgeon. And they noted that, and I will, will quote from the con- conclusion of the study, in patients with essential hypertension or no medications and with no known end organ damage, the practice of yoga incorporated into a three-month exercise intervention program was associated with significant greater improvement in all those measurable factors, when compared to the control stretching group. If these results are validated in more diverse populations over a longer duration of follow-up, yoga may represent an important addition to traditional cardiovascular disease prevention programs. And Mm -hmm. that's a big if, if these results are validated. But it's been, um, I think it's been tested a few times in the past. I've seen a couple of papers on this and it seems to be producing good results. So if you're doing yoga, keep doing it. However, there's just a couple of questions around this. Whatever is meant by yoga is meant something different by different groups of people. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. So I think there has to be a a more stricter definition of what exactly is being tested, what kind of yoga, you know, how what stretching and relaxation and breathing, you know, all these things need to be taken into the account. Yeah. There's a tendency to call everything yoga at the moment. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Sitting on a mat and uh, and staring yes. at the ceiling. Yeah. yeah, and there are you know very interesting kinds of yogas, like with goats. Have you seen that? You have goats no. uh, climbing all on top of you while you do your yoga. It's it's uh, craziness. Uh, oh, so it looks fun yeah. though. It looks fun though. So please go ahead and do I'm not it. Not sure but... if it's going to help people with with the, with the heart problems. I think it might make it worse. Uh, with goat, I don't know. No, no, no. For the people, the people with the heart problems will, might <laughs> have have an episode. But in any case, I've I've tried yoga. It's pretty. I, I think I've tried what we think of when we think of yoga. You know, the the different poses, the yep. stretches, the standing mm. upside down, whatever. A lot of it, like ninety percent of it, I I can never do because mm. I don't bend this way or stretch this way or whatever. But what what I was able to do was pretty pleasant you're just stretching muscles and whatever you know yeah i'm sure it doesn't i mean depending on the movement i don't think it's very dangerous and maybe even helpful if if you have back problems it can be pretty painful i'm sure so there you go i'll be very careful with my yoga (laughs) (laughs) as i have been so far all right uh, totally different subject now uh back to uh, climate change i guess We talked about the vanishing glaciers two weeks ago, and now the turn has come to the highest mountain in Sweden. When I went to school, I was taught that the highest point in Sweden was the south summit of the mountain Kebnekaise, which has a (laughs) glacier. Yes, that's not a Swedish name. I love the name. Yeah, it's (laughs) Kebnekaise. It is a uh, Sami name, so uh, I don't know what it means, actually. But... It has a, a glacier, and at the time it was 2,111 meters high, and I had to memorize that fact. 
Mm-hmm. But the facts change. And now it has melted by 15 meters since then. And it uh, currently loses about another meter every year. This year it's been confirmed that the south summit is no longer the highest point in Sweden. The north (laughs) summit, which has no glacier and is about 2,097 meters, is now taller. And uh, it's so it's just a reminder, uh, if we needed one, that climate change is still accelerating all around us and changing things like that. Wow. Well, I tell you, my next news item fits so perfectly into yours, because some people think that antibiotic resistance could kill us before climate change will. So there you go. Oh, so then the, the glacier isn't the problem then? We, we will well, all be dead. It, 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 it's no longer will be a problem. I mean, we shouldn't we shouldn't basically worry about that for now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but <laughs> it's not really that funny. But um, this is the theme I'm noticing more and more in the news. Um, we we were aware for a while that resistance to antibiotics is growing, and um, potentially. 10 million people worldwide could die every year if antibiotic use is not decreased. And what is happening, apart from the fact that the GPs or the doctors, general practitioners, prescribing antibiotics left, right and center for everything under the sun, it is also now, of course, um, widely used in animals. And if you're not a vegetarian, you tend to digest a lot of that as well. So now, of course, I moved countries and America has got more antibiotics in their farm animals than European Union because European Union has got stricter laws and uh, they restricted the use of antibiotics. So, hooray me, or not, maybe I should become vegetarian. Anyways, (laughs) of course, the bacteria evolves and soon they'll stop reacting to any antibiotic use could buy 10 million people a year yeah although on a grand scheme of things i guess you know (laughs) oh (laughs) we are not Um, that's that's not the official position of this podcast (laughs) so the the nhs in united uh, kingdom reported a rise of 65 percent in 76 countries across the world between 2000 and 2015 the rise in use of antibiotics that's a that's a lot yeah um yeah. Apparently, the Brexit, of course, was mentioned in this article because actually, no negative news in Europe now can go without mentioning Brexit. It's like a given. Brexit deal could increase um, antibiotics in food chain for, for UK, right? Because at the moment, it's regulated by EU, as I mentioned, and it, the the rules will stop applying after the UK is out, and so they'll they potentially are are going to be flooded with US. An antibiotic-ridden meat. <laughs> yeah. You know, just probably the answer is become vegetarian and uh, don't have any antibiotics. Yeah. No, no we, we really need to monitor that. This uh, we as a human, the human species need to monitor this and hopefully, hopefully come up with some sort of better antibiotic approach that doesn't create so much resistance because now it is you, you you create a new antibiotic and then they develop resistance to it and it doesn't yeah. work anymore and then nope. we go back to when you 19, died out of a um, simple cut in the arm and you you yeah. die because well so so this is 1940 that's when the penicillin was, oh. was discovered right 
Oh, is it that late? I forgot. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So oh, uh, actually, we would be reversing time. That's what it could look like. Yeah. So it's all good to report on climate change, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we may not be here to see it happen. Okay. Uh, so, yes, th- these are all the news we picked this week. And uh, now we are off to our next segment, Really Wrong. Yeah, uh, short but classic really wrong this week concerning stupid and misleading science reporting in the media. To the BBC, no less, uh, who normally knows better than this. Well, they're becoming worse (laughs) and worse, so you know. Yeah, they have to compete with all the other clickbait, so... But uh, Fox News. (laughs) Yeah, they couldn't help falling into the trap this week. They had a headline, quote... Loch Ness Monster may be giant eel, says scientists. And I wouldn't have reacted if it hadn't had that say scientists at the end. Yeah. Because they said nothing of a kind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) but the eels were mentioned, but you know, there were some researchers from New Zealand who had analyzed what kind of DNA was present in the waters of Loch Ness. Uh, And that's a good approach, really, because then you don't have to go out and catch all the animals. You can just sample the waters to see what DNA is there. And that is the evidence, what kind of animals. And of course, they didn't find anything strange. No plesiosaurs, no sharks, no large fish. And they said specifically that they were not looking for Nessie. They just wanted to better understand the wildlife in the lake. But then, of course, the journalists who interviewed them had to ask about Nessie. And they said, well, if you ask, we found a lot of eel DNA. So I guess if Nessie's there, then he has to be a a giant uh, eel then. I don't know exactly how the exchange went, but I'm, I'm assuming that it was just... They pressured the researcher to say something about Nessie and said, well, no no Nessie, but a lot of eel. And of course, the headline yeah. became Loch Ness Monster Maybe Giant Eel. Yeah. And uh, that's. Uh, and since it's the BBC as well, it got a lot of international attention. I saw it quoted in a Swedish paper as well and probably in other papers around the world. It's very hard to be a researcher and let yourself be interviewed by a journalist because the journalist is always after the least interesting part of your research and they just want something clickbaity. Yeah, well, they want a grabbing title, grabbing headline. Yeah, but the BBC should know better, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, for claiming that scientists believe that Nessie could be a giant eel, the BBC gets today's prize for being really wrong. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. That concludes this portion of today's entertainment program. <laughs> and <laughs> that's it for this for this week's show. I'm just going to quickly mention a quote I found. This quote is from Aristotle, the philosopher of the Greeks. Mm-hmm. What did he say? He said many, many good things, of, amongst which is this. There is only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. But if you do, if you decide <laughs> to say some things and be some things, so be prepared. Be prepared yeah. to be criticized. 
Yeah, exactly. But he it, it wasn't his recommendation, right? That we should do <laughs> no, nothing, no, say nothing, wasn't. or be nothing. <laughs> no. So he's being sarcastic, I guess. <laughs> no, that's not how I understood it. Good, good. So do something, say something, and be something. That's my... Then you can quote <laughs> me from that. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> motto of the day. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Pontus. Thank you, Jelena. It's been great, and um, we should do it more often. <laughs> it was very good to have you as a guest on the show for once. But uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but uh, look forward to next week uh, when we have more good interviews from the European Skeptics Congress. Yeah, and uh, yeah, see you then. All right, paka paka. Bye bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Pontus, is it mm. raining? Yeah, can you hear? Ah, uh, yeah, I can hear like a little, but oh, it's fine. It's, I, I like this noise. It's just, I think it's going to be on recording. <laughs> yeah. Who's the good cat? She's having a bit of a, you know how they just run around like crazy people. She's having a bit of a moment. Oh, the usually at night, but yeah, just before exactly it's time to go to bed, they, they get crazy. So, so fucking yeah. excited. Tommy, <laughs> he's a crazy cat. <laughs> Obvious that he is favoring. Fuck hell, jävla skit. <laughs> I pushed the wrong button, so my text disappeared. You do that sometimes. I never do that. I do that all the time. <laughs> right. <clears throat>